welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So, um, yeah, light in the darkness. Have we got a picture for that? I thought we had. Uh, oh, there we go. So, I mean, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But he also said, you are the light of the world. What does that mean? What does that look like? As I said, in Christmas coming up, we're going to talk about that passage and that theme that he's the, the true light coming into the world. But we are also called to be the light, his light, the light of God shining and sharing our faith, communicating to people the good news. What does that look like? What does that mean? Uh, and so today I want, to, um, I want to talk about the Roman road to salvation. Now, that may mean something to you if you've been around. Um, let me start by asking, first of all, um, who's hit a pothole lately? Or should I ask, who hasn't hit a pothole lately? Huh. Um, we need the Romans. And what I mean by that is the Romans were famous uh, for their roads. If you've travelled around Europe, then uh, you'll have come across Roman roads, sometimes roads that are still in use 2,000 years later, not just covered over in sort of a museum where they've excavated a little bit. There's plenty of those sections, but some roads are still in use. And for good reason, because uh, their longevity is based on their construction. And Romans had techniques that they developed that some are still in use today, like, first of all, figuring out where the road should go. You wonder sometimes, you know, why this road's uh, not on a ridge point because, you know, there's so much water damage down low and the Romans would would, uh, often find the best spot for a road. Uh, They then used to um, make sure that they uh, had layers to build a solid foundation uh, base layers, and again, you see that in use today. They used uh, stones, flat, strong stones for the top surface, which again, you still see today sometimes. And they built with a camber, which was revolutionary, but again, completely normal, so that the water naturally slopes off the sides of the road rather than pooling in the middle. And here's some pictures of roads, like I said, that are still around today. That's in Pompeii. So the roads rather than the people, survived Vesuvius and a couple of other, you know, thousand years. Uh, the next one, that is the famous Appian Way outside Rome where Spartacus and 6,000 other slaves were crucified uh, because of their uh, revolt of slaves that was crushed, their rebellion put down, uh, dramatically portrayed by Kirk Douglas back in the day, if you're old enough. I mean, some of you youngies probably can't even remember Michael Douglas, but his dad, Kirk, what a man, what a body. Spartacus, probably made in about 1950 or something. Um, I am Spartacus. No, I am Spartacus. All right, anyway, we're getting carried away. Um, And then uh, the next one, wow, that's incredible photography. Who took that picture? Look at the angle, the light, the time. Wow. So that is Pont de Gard. And if I excuse my uh, pronunciation, you can check with Edgar and Harriet, who recommended that we go there when Ruth and I were in Europe about 10 years or so ago. We were driving near there and they said, oh, you must go to this famous aqueduct. So it's not just a road, it's an aqueduct 
that the Romans built again in like the first century, 2,000 or so years ago, 50 metres high. So when you're the, it's a dramatic, amazing, wonderful kind of construction and still, well, they don't use it that much, but they do have, they, in fact, the Tour de France went across there a couple of years ago, didn't they? And uh, that would be a pretty special thing. And then finally, this is a comparison between a 2,000-year-old Roman road and a two-year-old modern road. Uh, that we are all too familiar with at the moment. Ha, it's, uh, it's crazy out there. On my motorbike trip a few weeks ago, um, one of my mates laconically said as we were standing outside the pub, Chris, you'd want to check your front wheel there. He's a very laid-back kind of guy. His name's Craig, like some other laconically laid-back, clever, brilliant. He's brilliant, in, uh, intelligent, just like all Craigs. Um, and, uh, and sure enough, I had a dented rim, and I'd, but uh, the pressures on the tyre were okay and survived the trip and all that, but uh, of all the potholes that we had dodged, I obviously hadn't dodged one successfully. Um, and so, uh, Roman roads, there you go, that's the end of the, the spiel about Roman roads. Uh, but, as you may know, they were useful for Jesus coming to earth at the time that he did, because for the first time... In human history, they had such a network of communication because of Roman government, as brutal as it was, it meant that there was reasonably safe passage for travellers like missionaries like Paul for the gospel to get out through all of what was pretty much modern known civilization at the time, Europe, Western Asia. And so the gospel was hitting the road, so to speak, on these Roman roads. And speaking of Rome... Paul wrote to the Romans about 30 or so years after, well, between 20, probably more like 20, 57-ish, late 50s, uh, he wrote to the Romans, the Church of Rome, about 20 or so years after Jesus went back to heaven, the church was founded, and uh, we have this book of Romans, which lays out the gospel, the the good news, and that's, that's what I want to look at today. Uh, there's a few verses that, that wonderfully encapsulate the truth of the gospel, which is good for us to know, but also, for, also useful for us if we have an opportunity to share with someone and open the Bible. Uh, if you're sitting with someone and they ask, well, come on, what do you really believe? What does the Bible teach? What is the Christian faith? It's not good enough to just say, well, I'm a Christian, you should come to church and, and it's great. Well, that, that's a start, that's good, and you can just invite someone to church and if nothing else, they can check it out for themselves and hopefully hear something reasonably articulate from the pulpit and meet some hopefully reasonably friendly people and have some reasonably good coffee, some reasonably, hopefully it's all better than reasonably good, you know, have an experience of the presence of God, that's great. But we should be able to do more than just go, oh yeah, the Bible, it's great, there's a lot of stuff in there, you should have a go and I don't know. And then next thing they open the middle of the book of Leviticus and think, what is going on here? You know, so we can help them to say, well, here's a start. And this is what we have come to hear as the Roman road to salvation. Four passages in the book of Romans that you can go to easily that outline the truth of the gospel. And so what are they? Well, you want the good news or the bad news? We'll give you the bad news first. The first one is in Romans 3.23. And... Um, and you may know this, and there it is. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's an uncomfortable truth. 
but it's something we've got to face up to because it's no point just saying, oh, God loves you, Jesus loves you, and your pretty good life could just be better if you just, you know, come to him and he'll chase you around and bless you. It's not really the, the heart or the truth of the gospel. The start of the truth of the good news is kind of the bad news, isn't it? The reality that we have sinned. Notice all. All is everyone. And no matter how good you or me or someone else is, we're, we're all missing it. We've all made mistakes. We've all hurt someone, upset someone, and most importantly, God. God's glorious. That's the standard. In fact, some versions even say, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. And so he is and can't help himself being perfectly glorious and good. And anything that isn't can't come into his presence, can't associate, can't relate to him. And so ever since Adam and Eve sinned, we've had it running in our veins. We've got a tendency and and an ability, sadly, to sin. And that drops us out of fellowship with God. We're cut off from God because of our sin. And... uh, I think I saw one evangelist once showing a little technique they used in witnessing was, okay, so we're not saying everyone's a terrible person. Are you a good person? Yeah, I'd like to think I'm a good person. That's good. Well, how, how good? Let's draw a scale here. Let's say Hitler's down here. He's not that good, is he? Well, I think we all agree. Right, right. So he's way down there, Adolf Hitler. Yeah, that's pretty well agreed upon. And then here's a scale right up to who's the best person you could possibly imagine has ever lived. Oh, well, apart from Jesus, you know, but maybe Mother Teresa. So they put Mother Teresa up there because they've heard amazing things of this little lady that gave her life sacrificially, helping, you know. Well, where would you be? Are you higher than Mother Teresa? Oh, of course not. Well, you're not that bad. And who's here? Oh, well, you know, I think that president so-and-so did a great job or this person did a, you know, wherever you are on the scale, God's going to be above Mother Teresa. And so you still fall short of God's standard. Even if you're way up there, if you think, well, I'm only a couple of notches below Mother Teresa, you know, I really think I'm pretty well good for you, but you're still below God's standard, yeah? And so that's kind of the, the, the bad news, but it's not all bad because we get some good news. Um, and, um, and also, let me just say this, you know, we, we live in such a, an egocentric world, uh, it's all about me. You know, it's all about me, my time, what I need, you know, my truth. And really, I've probably already said enough about that. I'm going to go off and spend the next 35 minutes talking about my truth. <laughs> the truth. But my truth, it's you, what you want, me, it's all about me. And, um, but, you know, the, the heart of the gospel isn't just, oh, I've got a problem, God needs to fix it, and that's why Jesus came. God's glorious. He loves us. He created us to be in relationship with him. So from his perspective, the gospel is about people being redeemed for his glory, for his benefit, because he loves us and wants us to be with him. So as I said, when you talk about sin, that rattles people's cage. Uh, You know, what do you mean? Well, I I, I made a mistake. I I misspoke, as politicians say. But at the the end of the day, it's it's a sin, it's a problem, it's an issue. But it's not just all about me and how I can fix that. It's, It's about God and his glory. And the heart of the gospel isn't just this world view of me being at the center, but God being at the center 
and his glorious creation that he wants to be in relationship coming back to him. And so that's why we get onto the solution for the problem. But as I said, salvation isn't just for our benefit, it's for God's benefit. So he can enjoy his highest creation. And so that's the first passage you can show someone. And as I said, a good sort of recap or refresh for knowing the truth for our own benefit of what we believe. We've all sinned. We fall short of God's standard. But the second one, Romans 6.23. And unfortunately, not all the chapters I mentioned are going to end in verse 23. It's not quite that cute. But the second one is Romans 6.23. Perhaps you know this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's the bridge between the bad news and the good news. It picks up on the fact that we're sinners and the result of sin, because what are wages, but something that you earn, the consequences of your work or whatever you do, it's, it's something that comes to you. And of course, sin brings or it produces or the consequences are death, spiritual death, separation from God. Again, the bad news, but, <laughs> but God, but, this is awesome. There's always, you know, in the Bible and in human history and God's redemptive plan, there's basically, oh, but, you know, I've been reading through the Old Testament, all the buffhead kings, oh, the idiot, you know, even, you know, but God sent a redeemer, God sent a good king, or but God wiped that guy out so a good guy could come, you know, and the judges, and the Israelites rebelled against God, and da, 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 but then God sent Gideon. Or, but, you know. So this is, praise the Lord, the greatest but against all human history, is, all humans' problems, is Jesus. You know, the, the Bible basically in a sentence is, people are idiots, but Jesus fix, fixed it up, you know, and their but is the bit in the middle. We're all pretty hopeless Right? We've covered that, sinners, buffheads, whatever you, you know, drongos, whichever way you want to call it in the Australian vernacular. In fact, is it Kel Richards, the ABC guy that wrote the Aussie Gospel? He wrote a New Testament, I think that's his name, Kel Richards. He's an ABC Christian commentator or journalist, and uh, it's a good read. It's a fun, he did the whole of the uh, narratives of the, the Gospel stories in... Um, a number of years ago, in an Aussie, slangy, bushy kind of way. Um, and uh, Frosty, I think you appear in there somewhere, you know. <laughs> there was a, you know, a buffed jackaroo who came along. With, uh, <laughs> um, no, no, you were, I think, maybe you are one of the wise men. In the, that's, that's what it was. You were one of the wise men. Some wise jackaroos came from the east looking for the star, yeah. Um, and so uh, here's the, yeah, the... the the connection there, but look, <clears throat> the gift of God, wow, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there's Jesus appearing as the answer. It's not just God in general, Jesus, Jesus is God, Jesus brought God to us, Jesus came with a revelation of God. A lot of people have different interpretations or ideas of God, but we know Jesus is the full reflection of who God is. And there's been plenty of prophetic people, religious people, spiritually inclined people, maybe with good motivation and ideals and have ended up with a religion based around their teaching or their pursuit. And, and they've gone and their names are in human history and well-known, uh, but they're not God. 
They might be known as a famous prophet pointing to God. They might have tried to figure out the way to God, but Jesus is, was, and always will be God. Yeah? And so here's the, the good news that God has given us, Jesus. Every Christmas we say this, he's the greatest gift. And we teach that to our little kids, even though they're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll lean into that one, but right now I'm just loving this toy. This is the greatest thing. It's like, yes, yes, yes. We used to make our kids pray, you know, before we do Chrissy presents, like, mm, you can feel a bull at a gate. It's like those bullfighting, you know, there's the gate and the, mm, mm. we're like, okay, come on kids. We got to, and this is all before church. Church is nine o'clock. So Christmas has always started early in the Brown household. Church is nine. We're going to get to church. And, uh, and yet, we, oh, the kids, you know, you, none of this. I think Ruth used to be keen for presents after church. Are you kidding me? No, wait, babe, we're not doing that. The kids will tear the house apart. They'll, you know. So it was like, all right, we do presents. So up early, prezies, church. But before anything, we pray and thank God for Jesus, the greatest gift. And you could feel the tension if the prayer went for too long. It's like, it's like when you're really hungry and the food's on the table and then someone wants to do a sermon over grace. I mean, I love the Lord, but I am just, I'm into a pretty quick grace, you know. Keelan will be glad every night. I, 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 you know, thank you, Lord, for all your blessings over this food. I mean, you know, chomp. but it, you take a moment, but it doesn't have to be 20 minutes. Have you been there? Where, you know, and the food, you could just... It smells good. It's getting colder and colder and we're going all over the world and going all through the Bible and it's like every bit of... I'm like, man, you are killing me, you know. But, um, yeah, so the kids, Christmas, yeah, I can remember, like, all right, we're going to pray. Thank God. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. So Jesus is the greatest gift at Christmas time, yeah? Uh, and he's, he's not just there at Christmas time. It's a good moment to remember but here's God's greatest gift and of course a gift this is the good news a gift is something that you don't earn right sin earns death <laughs> Jesus wasn't earned isn't earned it's it, it, it's a gift it's a gift is it's something special it's something unexpected isn't it the best gifts let's face it the best gifts are usually unexpected like a surprise um, that you didn't deserve or expect. It's from love and it is just what you really wanted. And sometimes you think, I didn't know that I really wanted that. Have you ever had, you bought a pair of shoes or something? What did I ever wear before I had these shoes? This is a, you know, and you go out and it's like, I'm wearing that jacket again. How, what, how did I ever leave the house? Was I naked? I mean, this jacket is awesome and perfect. And so Jesus is, is the perfect gift, isn't he? Because he, he is unexpected we didn't deserve him he came from i mean who what sort of a crazy plan is that that god would become a man that he would be humbled to be born as a baby and yet still be 100 percent god like what and yeah and he's out of love god loved the world so much that he gave christ gave jesus that he sent jesus uh so it's out of love and he is exactly what everyone needs he fills that void that will always be lost and lonely and searching until jesus comes and so he ticks all those boxes. And, of course, salvation comes to us. The love of God has come to us. That gift of God has come to us. And then we are called to share that gift, shine the light, like we're saying, which is so much easier when we really 
walk in God's love, when we really appreciate His love, you can feel the love of God. Like, like Ruth and I were staying in the city a couple of weeks ago and I went for a run. I ran, we were down near the central station and I think, well, I've got to run to the harbour and go to Lady Macquarie's chair in the Botanic Gardens, which once would have been easy, you know, but I'm like, I'm not running that far these days. But anyway, I get there and then I sort of think, how am I going to get back? And I'm running along, shuffling, I should say. I say running, but it's more of a sad shuffle, you know, these days. And, uh, but I feel the love of God because I'm praying and it's a beautiful Sydney morning and I feel the love of God. I want to I, I wanna tell people about Jesus and I'm feeling this running along. I see a guy getting out of the car and I, I want to help him. Like I think, oh, oh, has that guy got a problem? Is he? I thought he was, you know, and, and I, I, I sort of ran over there ah, and he was absolutely fine. He must have just sort of been reaching in for his phone or something but I thought oh has he got a problem with his back I, I can feel this wanting and then I ran past something in the middle of the road and I ran back and got it because I thought well, that could hurt a motorcyclist so I'd take that off the road you know and I could I literally feel oh the love of God and then Ruth came back from her prayer walk and then told me and she might tell us some other time about this wonderful encounter she had with people and they were really in need and she you know prayed for them and all this but we're just sharing that that love of God you know what I'm saying you feel that gift that God's given you, and a gift received is a gift given, a, gift, a best gift, you know, shared around. Like you get a big box of chocolates or something, and you don't go off into your room by yourself. Hopefully, you don't just go. It's nice to, it's nice to share. <laughs> all right, um, a bad example. Okay, well, you just eat all those chocolates on your own. But it is, it is nice to share. Okay, let me tell you a story about this, about this sharing the love and feeling the love, that the love from God through people. Ruth mentioned this the other day. We were talking, and I don't know if I've ever shared with you, about Charlie Tremendous Jones. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Charlie Tremendous Jones. So you guys did because you were back in the day. We were at Pastor Phil's church in Brookvale, way back, the mothership of this church, the original C3 church, Christian City Church as it was. And they had this guest speaker coming, Charlie Tremendous Jones. He was a motivational speaker and he was in the realm of Zig Ziglar and those guys that were well known in the 70s and the 80s. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. He's a Christian businessman, motivational speaker, and he was known as Tremendous because everything was tremendous. He was a positive guy and everything and everyone was tremendous. So he got this nickname, Charlie Tremendous Jones. You can look up YouTube clips and he was so funny. I can't impersonate him and do his humour so well. But one thing he would do, he'd be preaching away and he'd say, oh, da, 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 but I don't think you're getting it, you thumb sucker. You know, and then people would be like, what? And he'd pick on some guy in the front row. And he was sort of like aggressive and he'd look angry, but but he was just loving and, and uh, like I said, I mean, you had to be there. He was there. It was funny. Sorry about that. Yeah, right. Anyway, I was asked to go and pick him up from the hotel. And I'd seen videos or maybe I'd seen him speak on his previous tour and I thought, oh, wow, it's Mr. Jones, you know, he's this famous speaker. And, and Ruth and I had just been married uh, and um, so I, I remember, yeah, I was young and we were at Bible college and, and so I was asked to go and pick him up and bring him to the church for the meetings. And I went to the hotel, the surf rider down at DY, right on DY Parade, I lived just up the road. And I parked outside, went inside, and there he came down. Oh, Mr. Jones, my name's Chris. I'm from the church. Oh, yeah, okay. And so he was—he he sort of met me briefly, but then went over to the desk to sort something out with his room or pay the bill or something. And I got, had his bags, and um, and then he finished there. Oh, okay. So 
right, come this way. And we opened the door, came out of the hotel, and then I started. Uh, and as I said, we had just had a brief, brief greeting, and he was in uh, business mode, you know, like, okay, fix that up, and then let's get to the meeting. Sure, no dramas. But as I'm walking down, I, I, I realise he, he's, he's not there. He, I thought he was right next to me. When I stopped, I turned around, and he had stopped. And he was just looking at me. And this is on the main street. There's people around, cars going past. And he said, what did you say your name was? I said, Chris, Chris Brown. Chris Brown. And he walked towards me slowly. And he was bigger than me. Like I'm six foot, but he was taller, bigger. He's American. So a lot of them are big. You know, he's solid, solid, big, big boned, as they say. You know, big, solid guy. And he walked towards me. And I thought, okay, what's going on? And I, I thought he wanted to say a better hello because that was a little brief, so I put out my hand. And he just didn't look at the hand and he just came up to me and put his arms around me and gave me this great big hug for a really long time. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And I did the, 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 the Aussie, the, the pat, the quick pat, which is like, okay, stop now. Because I didn't get brought up with hugs. You know, we weren't a huggy family. It was just like, you know, my old man would be, you know, clip over the helmet, well done, good race, you know, or sort of like, okay, good, good, good shooting, son, or good scoring or whatever, you know, performance we were doing, you know, so we were achieving. Uh, and um, and he, I remember just looking out the other side, you know, and seeing cars, seeing people, looking, oh, there's two men just hugging. I was like, yep, that's what we're doing, just hugging. And it just seemed to go on forever. And so it was awkward, but it was also amazing. And I could feel the love of God. I could feel this sincere, it wasn't an act, it wasn't a show, there was no one around, he wasn't doing it in church. It was, I could just feel the love of God. It was like a gift. And, and, and he just stood back and then said, Chris Brown, well, it's really good to meet you. I'm like, wow, you think, I don't know what I said. I can't remember what I said, but I was really touched. And then when we went to the church, I introduced Ruth because we were newly married and I wanted to meet my wife. You know, and I remember he didn't hug the women, but he put his hand out, shook hands, and then he put the other hand over that hand and, and looked her in the eyes and said, Ruth, it's really good to meet you. And then when he was preaching, he shared this story. And he shared how um, he liked hugging men. He was, he, was, he was into hugging men. And he said, and I'll tell you why, because once... I got a letter after a meeting and the letter said, Dear Mr. Jones, you'll remember me, I'm the man you hugged. And obviously the guy didn't realise he hugged a lot of guys, but, but, but at that point the guy went on to say, I'm 55 years old, I wanted to say thank you, not just for your speaking, motivational talk was great, but it's the first time in my life I've ever been hugged. And, jo and Charlie Jones said at that point I determined I'm going to hug every man I meet. Because you never know when you come across a man who's never been hugged. Ah. And so then I felt ripped off because I thought, oh, I thought it was just me. No, 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 no. no. But then it made sense. I realised, wow, that's why he's into the hug. And it was, like I said, it was like a communication of the love of God, the, the, the gift that this, let's see that scripture again. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. Light, love, all through Christ. As I said, it comes into our life. And when you walk with God, if you wake up every morning and pray, before I heard Joyce Meyer, Keelan and I listen to Joyce Meyer real in the morning. He loves it. 
Uh, we go to job sites. It's true. He's telling me the other day. He said the other day, hey, what's that really cool thing you said today? Like, I am what I am. And I, I said, it wasn't me. It was Joyce Meyer. Oh, yeah. Well, tell your mates at work that. You listen to Joyce Meyer. I don't know if he's gone that far, but he, he does appreciate Joyce Meyer at 6.30 in the morning on the radio. Uh, but she says before her feet hit the ground, she'll pray every morning. I think that's a good way of doing it. Start your day praying and just letting the love of God soak in you so it soaks through you. Yeah. Okay, so what's the next verse? Uh, so, th- you know, that's an example. I, as I said, the gift of God's love flowing through us like Charlie Tremendous Jones had. Here's the next one. This is, so, so that's, you know, that, that's kind of like what Jesus did and this is why he did it. You know, Jesus came, but, but why? This is the next point in the Roman road, if you like. Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his love. It says, but, because the previous verse said something about sometimes a good man might die for a good man. Like someone that they really feel is worthy of their sacrifice. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that's the extent of God's love. That's the motivation for why Jesus died. Not because, oh, well, for the good people, or when you're good enough, God will do something for you. People sometimes say, I'd love to come to church, but I've got to get some things sorted. Because, you know, I wouldn't want the walls to fall down and I need to get my life right. No, 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 you got it around the wrong way. You come to God just as you are and then he will get things sorted. You know, you'll never get everything lined up, all the ducks in a row, so to speak, all your goodness right. So then God says, oh, oh, you're approved, you're good enough, you may come into my family, you may, you may come to church. I mean, this place would be empty, wouldn't it? <laughs> for a waited for us. All right, Caleb, you'd probably be allowed in. But, uh, but you know, for the rest of us, um, even your daughters wouldn't make it in. They're already naughty, but you'd be okay. Right? Uh, but, you know, we, that's not how it works. While we were still sinners, when you were still far from God, when you were still doing the wrong thing, and it doesn't mean that you were some crazy drug-addicted murderer or some extreme... Though, if, you know, that applies, fine. But, but, uh, but wherever we are on the sin scale, it's still sin. And yet God doesn't mind that he just loves us. And parents, you know this love. You don't love your kids when they behave, because they behave. I mean, you enjoy their company more when they behave, but, but you love them all the time, don't you? It's just total unconditional love. You love them when they're, you know, doing the wrong thing, rebellious, rude, not your kids, I'm, hypothetically, people down the road. There are other parents out there that have, you know, naughty children. I know yours are all perfect. In fact, I remember back in Brookvale, the big church in Sydney we're in, do you remember they used to have numbers? Kids, had, people would send their kids out and then it's a child number 21 and you'd see this parent sheepishly get up. <laughs> and then sometimes it was week after week, it was the same parent. You'd see him put the kids in, yeah. And you'd, oh God, please, 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 please. Oh God, we're 10 minutes into the sermon, nearly made it 15 minutes. Oh, child number 21, oh, here I go again. And there the number would pop up. We don't do that. It's just a madhouse. I mean, no, no, no. The, the, kids, the kids are just perfectly behaved. I don't know what it is. We have brilliant uh, teachers, instructors, and, and the naughty courtyard too. The, you know, this is, I'm joking. Right, there is a courtyard there that looks like a prison. But, uh, but we don't use it for that. We, we throw a few poppers in there and say, all right, kids, you'll be fine. Packet of chips. Uh, no, no, I'm joking. We, they, they look after your children very well out there. Um, 
But, uh, but you know, parents, come on, I, I've, raised, I've raised a number of children and I'm not leaning into the foster care system too much, but I've also raised foster children. And, um, and, uh, and they're, well, they're just wonderful. They're just amazing, you know. But, uh, but for all, all kids, and I've been a school teacher too. Oh, you know, and so the teachers, you know, there are some kids, but you love them. I mean, Bethany just is always talking about the kids. Oh, I love my kids. She hasn't even had her own children. She, she's got kids at school. She loves them. You feel the love. Well, that's just a taste of the love that God has for us. And, and you want to get that for yourself. And especially if you're sharing the gospel with someone, you want to really land on this point that while you are still a sinner, God still loves you. God died for you. Christ died for you, you know, because of the love of God. You want people to really grasp that. That's the single most life-changing revelation you can have, isn't it? That God loves me. doesn't matter what else. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, Romans chapter 8, which we're not looking at today, but there's a great passage there, you know, about the love of God. And that is what we live from, what we base our life on, what we are reliant on, what, that's all we need. And you can't earn it and you shouldn't walk away from it. And some people struggle, even Christians, to really accept because of the attacks of the devil, condemnation, another Roman scripture, no condemnation in Christ, plenty of condemnation in the devil, plenty of condemnation from maybe some person in authority, you know, old cranky teacher or your parents or somebody but no condemnation in Christ just love from God just grace just mercy unmerited favor as the Bible says just God's great gracious love so we really want to have that soaking living in our hearts and we want people to share that to understand that so like I said if you have the opportunity or when you have the opportunity to share and you're sitting on this scripture try and let someone really Ah, reflect on that, let it land. All right, let's move on and come to a close in the next hour or so. Um, and so uh, the fourth one is Romans chapter 10. So this is all very good, isn't it? We're as sinners, God loves us, God sent Jesus, great, awesome. Is that all? Well, not quite because like Christmas time and the gift again, it's nice to see a gift under the tree, but that's not its ultimate destination. That's, it's no good sitting there, that power tool, men, Connecting, right? right um, uh, or that lovely ornament, men. You know, you, you, know, you never know. Okay, that's fine. You know, or something. It's no good sitting in a in a box. It's got to be unwrapped. It's got to be appreciated. It's got to be appropriate. It's got to be taken, and and received. And that's what it is with Christ. God sent Jesus. He loves us. He's died on the cross. So, what does Romans ten verse nine and ten say? If, if you See, it's on us. This is the final part of the puzzle. This is the, this is the bit for, for us to appreciate. And again, when you're witnessing, sharing with someone, so this is all very good. What are you going to do with this? Oh, well, I don't know. Well, if you don't make a decision, no decision is a no decision. All right? If you, if you say, oh, you're coming to the party, you go, well, I'll think about it. Well, unless you say yes, that's a no. If you don't ever decide yes, you just won't end up at the party. You're snubbing the invitation. And so we don't have to force people to become Christians. You don't have to convert them, but you've got to at least let them know that there's a choice for them to make. And if you shine your light and share your faith and tell your story, then it's the ball's in their court. 
And again, for us, it's like, well, if, if you, what? Declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. And not before then. You're not saved just because you're born and good looking and Australian and feel like you deserve it. We've been through all that. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. But if you confess, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So there's confession that's powerful, public declaration and personal belief in your heart. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So there it is. Uh, as I said, balls in our court or their court if you're talking to someone. And, um, and so we just have to think and ask and challenge, in a sense, will you say yes to Christ? You know, Because when you do, then you're saved. Saved from sin, from separation from God, from oh, shame and guilt and eternal damnation and a life without meaning and saved from so much and set into the family of God, the house of God, a life with purpose, with God's provision, with God's blessing, with God's life. And it's just the way to live, isn't it? And uh, I guess I'm preaching to the converted, but it's each, it's up to us and it's up to everyone we share with. And people can say no, as I said, that's their choice, but we want to give them that choice. And of course, many of us do this brilliantly, like we heard this morning, Linda sharing, uh, and we just want to keep doing that. So there you have it. Four passages showing the human condition for our sin, the effects of our sin, the solution for our sin, and of course the needed response in order for us to appropriate or receive that solution in Jesus. And, uh, and then one final scripture, just bear with me. If you want to go further, for your own life, and if someone else in discipleship, look at Romans chapter 12. I mean, as I said, the whole book of Romans is amazing, but if you look at Romans 12, this is the the next step in a journey of faith to not just make a decision and go, all right, I'll pray a prayer. I believe in Jesus. And now what? Look at Romans 12 verse 1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Maybe you know that passage. So this is our journey, to say humbly, ongoing, God, I'm a, I'm a sacrifice. I am not trying to do it all for me, about me. I'm just making it all available, humbled before you like a sacrifice. And then, wow, I get to do the will of God rather than the will of the world. In fact, let me read the message translation of that and then finish. Here's what I want you to do. This is the modern translation or version of that passage. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and publicly and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. 
God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Let's pray. Father, we want that well-formed maturity, that Christ-like living. And we know part of that is to be light bearers, light shiners, and carrying Christ wherever we go. We thank you for these passages, these powerful promises, and I pray you'd give us opportunities where we could unfold, unlock, open up the Scriptures so someone could see just briefly and powerfully what these verses say and what they will mean to them, the Roman roadway to salvation. Thank you, Lord God. If we're ever given that opportunity, help us, stir us, challenge us, and lead us, Holy Ghost, so that we'll walk through those doors and have that joy that we heard about earlier for sharing the good news of Jesus. We thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Oh, God, you know, before we leave today, I want you to miss out on an opportunity. If you need to give your life to Christ, to commit your life into God's hands, come and see me after the service. I'll lead you in a brief prayer of commitment so that you can be in relationship with God, your heavenly Father who's knocking on the door of our hearts, always wanting to come in. But it's our faith, our choice, our decision, what we do with Him. Thank you, Lord God, touching and stirring every life here today. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.